0: Welcome to the Tech Legal Matters podcast by iAfrican Radio. Since 2015, we at iAfrican.com have been doing research and publishing about significant data breaches and leaks across Africa. Some we have reported on publicly, while others were too sensitive and we simply notified the relevant authorities without publicly reporting on them. During the same period, we have also researched and reported extensively on cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection-related matters across Africa. What we have always observed is that not many people and organizations understand the legal implications of the various technologies that they use. In this podcast, we will explore these topics and more with a specific focus on the intersection of technology and the law, how that affects you as an individual, but also from a business perspective. New episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast will be broadcast every Friday. The podcast will also feature analysis, insights, and commentary from attorneys who specialize in information and communications technology law.
1: I'm your host, Badaun Khotogwa, final year law student and cybersecurity researcher here at iAfrica.com. In this week's episode of Tech Legal Matters, we're joined by Lucien Pierce from PPM Attorneys to look at South Africa's Protection of Personal Information Act a lot closer. We look at Section 57.0. That talks about prior authorization and we investigate the relationship between the information regulator and responsible parties that process data lucen how are you
2: i'm good but it's nice to be chatting to you and to the uh, I, I african team again it's uh, it's been a while
1: yeah i know beautiful you're a friend of the podcast so it's always good to have a friend here absolutely no it's good to be back hey <laughs> definitely uh Lucy, the information regulator officially took over um papaya on the 1st of uh, July. And it also officially took over the PAYA Act functions from the South African Human Rights Commission. Uh, I'm just interested to know from an attorney the balancing information privacy and access to information. Uh, How do you preempt the regulator is going to balance this act without no concrete case law and presidents to to really guide? How do you think this is going to happen?
2: Yeah, this is an interesting question. And it's actually a question that I I, uh, had to address um, in the real world uh, during the course of, of last week, you know, it's not just an academic uh, exercise that we're going to discuss now. Just by way of background, so PIA, the Promotion of Access to Information Act, that's been around for quite uh, quite a few years already. If you look at the constitution, you'll see that it makes provision for the protection of personal information, and it also allows for access to information. So these two acts, PIA and pop Pyre are related and interlinked. But when it comes to Pyre, as I mentioned, it's been around for quite a while and there's already a body of case law that has dealt with how it works in what situations it can come to somebody's assistance and in what situations the courts will not assist because um, in those instances, people might be trying to exploit the relief that PIA is able to give you when in fact they could be using other remedies. So oh. if you look through our case law, you'll see that there's a fair amount of decided cases that uh, have spoken to Pia and defined how it works. But when it comes to PAYA, that's a different story, which uh, you know I can address right now if you'd like me to.
1: No, definitely, please go into it I think this is something that's going to come up so we just like guidance regarding that
2: yeah no no certainly so with regard to Popeye in terms of interpreting the act and applying it what i think is going to happen is that our uh, information regulator is certainly going to take cues from decisions that have been made by other regulators and also other courts in other jurisdictions because remember uh, if you take the EU which is our usual go-to example because mm. they are, have been at the forefront of this mm. if you look at the eu they've been at it since 1996 when the precursor or, or, or the um, origining original piece of Data protection legislation, Uh, the data protection directive was published in 1996. And since then, they've had various regulators, they've had their court, it's gone all the way to the highest courts in their jurisdiction, making decisions and rulings on how that piece of law uh, should be interpreted. Now, if you remember, our is actually very, very closely aligned with that original data protection directive. So whatever decisions were taken throughout that period will provide guidance to our regulator. Of course, uh, since then, we've now had the general data protection regulation, which came into effect in 2018. And that is like a data protection law on steroids. You know, it's it's really gone even further to protect and enhance privacy rights of data subjects. So when it comes to grey areas under Papaya, I think, you know, we will certainly also look at the GDPR and decisions that are being made as far as it's concerned to help us interpret POPIA. So I think, you know, one, when it comes to PIA, the Promotion of Access to Information Act, we've already got a fair amount of um, decided case law that will give us guidance. When it comes to Popeye and how we uh, interpret it, we're going to take cues lightly from other jurisdictions and apply what they've done there. Um, so there's no you know, no point in reinventing the wheel, particularly if some of the quality of the judgments are so good in those other jurisdictions. And just for those who might say, well, why do we need to look at other countries? Well, our constitution, as you know, but allows us to look at other courts and their decisions and use this, that as a basis for, for making decisions here here or for guidance um, for our courts here.
1: hundred percent, Lucerne. In your legal opinion, do you regard this as, a, as the right move, the PAYA being now within the domain of the regulator instead of the uh, South African Human Rights Commission? How robust will the information regulator's enforcement be vis-a-vis uh, from the Human Rights Commission? I
2: think, you know, the Human Rights Commission did a pretty decent job in the time that it was responsible for overseeing compliance with PIA. However, I think given the importance of the protection of personal information as well, not just access to information, which is mm. which is so important, you know. I think they're both they're both um, you know. I wouldn't say one uh, weighs more than the other or takes precedence over the other because they're you know the, these two rights that that dovetail. But when it comes to enforcement, I expect that the information regulator is going to take a, a much more robust approach than the human rights commission did. Mm. Um, The reason I say so is because we've seen uh, in recent times the damage that can be caused by the um, failure to to protect personal information. We've seen very real harm. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the examples we've seen in recent times where personal information has been exposed, the one that always comes to mind for me, and it's pretty controversial, is the Ashley Madison um, hack that occurred a number of years ago. But in those instances, the, the really sensitive, nature of the personal information that was revealed resulted in some people taking their lives. So that's how important personal information is, which is why I think that the information regulator is going to take a very hard line in enforcing pyre uh, and PIA. Uh, their team is a very highly skilled team they've got mm. uh, the you know, members that are form the information regulator are highly qualified uh, and they've already uh, had some time to get familiar with this piece of legislation so i think the IR the information regulator is not going to pull punches when it comes to enforcing the law importantly importantly we always talk about the enforcement aspects the penalty aspects but they also have a duty to educate as well uh, mm. you know and they would be shortchanging the public if they didn't also place great emphasis on the education aspect of papaya and pyre. But when it comes to enforcement, I think we're certainly going to see them taking a very stern line on, uh, on compliance.
1: On that note of education, let's look closer to the papaya. Uh, Section 57 uh, that requires prior consent from the regulator when uh, processing specific categories of data. was pushed back actually by the regulator uh, to um, 2022. This is like a week before, this was announced a week before the act came into full enforcement in July. Um, And these, when you look at these categories, these specific categories of data, they're quite sensitive. Um, These include information for the purposes of criminal behavior, purposes of credit reporting, even information related to children. What are the potential hazards uh, that this might cause, if any, in this extension? So ideally, you know, you want
2: to have a lot more oversight over uh, responsible parties to use layperson's terms, whoever is in charge of this sensitive information and is processing it. You want to have oversight over them if they are processing such sensitive information. And I think it's a very necessary provision in our act uh, to have this, this prior authorization. But I think, uh, and let me highlight the problems first. So the fact that it's been pushed back is going to give a lot more entities that are engaging in this type of process Processing, more time to continue doing what they are doing, perhaps not to the standard that the information regulator expects or that anyone else would expect. Uh, so there might be uh, potential breaches, there might be some harm that occurs to people because there isn't this oversight at the moment of this type of processing. But on the other hand, why I think it's important that it has been pushed out is because the information regulator doesn't want to simply go through an exercise of ticking boxes and saying, okay, so, you know, they filled in the forms correctly and therefore they can go about it. I think what the information regulator wants to do is to actually consider uh, each of these applications that come in without having the pressure of that 1st of July deadline that was originally in place. I think they want to look and assess and make sure that the decisions uh, that they take with regard to each of these applications are well considered and that those that don't merit the permission to go ahead and and conduct this type of processing, uh, they must be denied. Uh, There will be many, uh, I shouldn't say many. There will be some, I think, that might take a chance and want to continue processing all the sensitive information without having proper basis or without having the appropriate security in place. And I think in those instances, they must be refused. So more time, I think, yes, the downside is that whoever is doing it continues to do it for another year. But uh, on the other hand, we're going to have a much more uh, stringent process of adjudicating as to whether those who apply can do it or
1: not. Okay. I know I might be barking at the wrong tree. Uh, but Lucian, don't you think the information regulator has had enough time uh, thus far to, to really... Putting those uh, sort of mechanisms in place?
2: Yeah, you know, that's an argument that many have raised. One of the sympathies I have for the information regulator is the fact that uh, their budget has been relatively low in each of the years since they started operating. You know, at one point, uh, this was two or three years back, I remember asking them, and it might have been when their annual budget for the entire organization was about 18 million Rand. And if you think about it, that is probably what a well-resourced, responsible party will spend on legal fees simply to defend a potential uh, a compromise. And if you think about it, the, the entire budget on, on, on one matter. So I think I can empathise with the fact that they might need to obtain more resources, a bigger budget, so that they can implement this. Prop- Up until this point, I simply think that they didn't have sufficient financial resources to make sure that every aspect or every requirement has been placed. placed on them, can be processed well, can be done properly. So I think, you know, rather than rushing it and making a hash of it, let's give them a bit more time to get it done and get it done right, particularly since they might be getting more resources and will be able to employ the right people and put the correct processes in place to to oversee this prior authorization. It's a very important
1: aspect of the act to oversee this properly. Yourself and your firm do a lot of work regarding information security, papaya compliance from a more Practical point of view. For the benefit of our, of our listeners, how does a consultant or papaya compliance consultant undertake a risk assessment or a security assessment in line with the Act? So, our
2: um, we've developed a particular methodology that takes two phases, and I think a lot of uh, organizations out there probably follow a similar approach. Now, instead of diving in and making all kinds of uh, recommendations on how this papaya process or compliance process needs to be followed, we conduct a gap assessment, uh, and many people will be f- familiar with this term, and it's where we go in to an organization. These days, we do it remotely because mm-hmm. all the information is available and everything can be done. Almost everything can be done online. And we essentially Mm -hmm. assess the status of the organization, looking at the various provisions and the conditions uh, under papaya. And then we establish sort of as is the state of play in the organization as far as papaya compliance is concerned. And that we will put together into a report and say to the organization, okay, this is where you are. And these are the shortcomings that you would need to uh, remedy if you are going to become as compliant as possible under papaya. The organization would then take our report and they would say, "Okay, we agree with you. Let's go through the process. And that process would entail remedying and implementing those shortcomings within the organization to make sure that it is up to an acceptable standard of compliance with Papaya. So you might find that they might not have certain policies in place or they might not have done sufficient training uh, or they might not have appropriate technical measures in place. So when it comes to the technical measures, we typically work with the specialists that I guys, to use that overused term, they come in and they conduct the necessary security checks on the organization and identify any weaknesses in its systems. And those also form part of the implementation process where you remedy those uh, shortcomings in security as
1: well. Government is is a little bit of of a special case. With government, you have different spheres of government that share personal information with one another, you know, local provincial government and other sort of, let's say, Sasa and other different government departments. In each of these cases, who then becomes responsible over this data? There's concurrent jurisdictions. Who becomes responsible? In the case of government, I regard all the various departments as separate
2: responsible parties. So you might take the Department of Home Affairs. It has a huge database of births, marriages, people's identity numbers. And in that instance, it's responsible for the personal information that it is processing. And it can't simply now just go and hand over certain information to another department, let's say the Department of Health without having some basis under papaya, So I don't treat government as this one all-encompassing entity. I treat it in a very similar way to a group of companies which would still, amongst them, need to comply with the law in order to transfer personal information from one to the other. So in my view, where you have perhaps the Department of Health interfacing with the Department of Home Affairs, in that instance, likewise, you would need to have the appropriate mechanisms and comply with papaya before information is exchanged.
1: My views treat them as separate responsible parties. Lucien, we've covered a lot around compliance. Let's look at when an information breach actually occurs within an organization. Walk us through the process. Uh, an information officer uh, would undertake enlarging a notice to the regulator. Time frames, Uh, how to go about lodging that notice uh, and so forth.
2: Great. So there are two suppose, avenues, if you could call it that, or two scenarios. Okay. The first one being where the responsible party itself has uh, suffered a compromise. Now, in that instance, what the what Papaya says, it must be reported within a reasonable time. Now, what happens between the time that the compromise is discovered to the time it is reported to the information regulator? Your typical scenario, and I would hope that many organizations have already put this in place, is you'd have a, an emergency response team, if you want to call it that, that team would probably be comprised of a a person who is able to make decisions very quickly on behalf of the organization, typically a director, you know, somebody very high up in in the executive of the organization. You would then also have uh, the technical people, the IT people, to use that term again, you know, the CIO and whoever might be working with her or him. You would then also have PR people, simply because if this is going to be something major that is going to impact on the public, then you need to have the people who are able to put it out there, put the message out there in the best way possible. And then, of course, you would need to have your legal people. And the reason I always say have the legal people come in first is because if you have, whether it's in-house and and, and then you get into a whole sort of discussion around whether somebody who is in-house is sufficiently independent or not, but let's say you use external lawyers. In that instance, what I Typically, ask or suggest to clients is that they make the legal people, the external legal advisors, the centerpiece of the whole exercise of addressing this compromise. The reason I say so is because uh, if you have an external legal advisor uh, involved, much of the work that they commission to an external forensics company come in, we need an urgent report on this. They might then consult with a, a senior counsel, an advocate who might also make certain input on the issue. In that instance, all of that information, whether it is very complex, in other words, damning and, you you know, the company was really negligent or not, all of that information is privileged. In other words, it doesn't have to be handed over to somebody who might be investigating, whether it be the information regulator or whether it be with respect to criminal charges. In that instance, whatever information the attorneys hold or the independent legal advisors hold is privileged and you can then decide what to give out or not. So now you've had this compromise, you've got the forensics people come in and they say, look, this, this is not on going, it's a once-off, they've exfiltrated or they've stolen this information and we know exactly what it is. In that instance, then you might want to then assess uh, the impact before you go to the information regulator on various parties who might be involved in this matter. You would look at your contracts with your suppliers. You would look at your contracts with your customers and see what those contracts say insofar as breaches are concerned. Uh, if it was a well-drafted contract on the part of the customer, it would have some sort of pause that says, well, you need to report this breach to us as soon as it occurs. And then, of course, you need to know that you have to comply with that or else you're in breach of your contract with your customer. Then you also need to look at whether it's the appropriate time now to report to the the regulator. I say appropriate because you might in certain instances want to get the SAPS involved and they might say, well, look, just wait a bit before you report it because we don't want uh, it to be compromised. Not that the information regulator would compromise it. And then, of course, you would then report this to the information regulator and you would then need to comply with Section 22. And the reason I say, you know, delay slightly is because you want to be able to make this a proper and substantial report that is used. to the regulator. You want to be able to say what mitigations you've taken or steps you've taken, because what Section 22 says is that unless, you know, for for reasons such as investigation, you must notify the data subjects whose information has been um, compromised. So you would have already sent out a notice to all the data subjects saying there's been a compromise. These are the steps that we've taken. And this is what you as the data subject need to take, the steps you need to take to make sure that you don't suffer any further harm. And then, of course, you would now send your report to the information regulator and the information regulator is then able or entitled to make further directions to you on what else you would need to do in addition to what you've done already. So that in a nutshell is sort of the one minute version of of everything that happens in a crisis. I had mentioned that there are two scenarios. The other scenario, of course, is where you as the responsible party find out that an operator, one of your service providers has had the breach and you've given them uh, personal information to process on your behalf. In that instance, if you're an operator, you need to immediately, that's what the Act says, report that to the responsible party. In other words, your customer, the person that you're processing information on their behalf. So those are the two scenarios. An operator needs to report to the responsible party immediately. The responsible party needs to report to the information regulator within a reasonable time, taking into account many of the steps that they would need to take before reporting to the information regulator. That's sort of in a nutshell,
1: the process that you would follow. Lucy, an important question. The report the responsible party lodges to the information regulator. Does the data subject have access or the right to access to that report to understand more detailed as to how that breach actually occurred? That's a good question. It doesn't say in the act whether the data subject is
2: entitled to that report. What I would expect is that the data subject would then potentially have to do some sort of PIA request to get hold Mm. of that that report and that's where the initial advice that i suggested where where i said if an external lawyer deals with it then it is privileged that could then really if it's very damning and the report the, the internal report before it's sent to the information regulator says that the, you know this this responsible party has been really negligent then uh, in that instance there's a strong argument that that Part that information need not be given to the data subject. However, I expect that if uh, the report that is given to the information regulator, that might be different. And at some point, excerpts from it might need to be handed over. Potentially, the whole report to the data subject. Uh, But that's something that we actually haven't had to had to deal with just yet. I imagine that if the information regulator then decides to prosecute or pursue the responsible party based on the report, at some point that report is like to come out in those proceedings, so so ultimately, I think the data subject will get to see that report.
1: Definitely, Lucen. Um, I African participated in this year's World uh, Cybersecurity Summit uh, African edition, and in the presentations that were that were given by by professionals on the continent, uh, ransomware attacks were were specifically pointed out as a growing trend, not not only in the continent but also globally. Now, ransomware attacks are quite unique in the sense that the hacker would lock information within an organization server so the organization wouldn't have access to the actual information uh, because it's locked but it's still within their domain now Let's define a breach in this incident where you have uh, information that has not left your server, but you don't have access to it because a hacker has, has locked it up uh, using a bot or whatever, you know, advanced tools that they've got. Is that still defined as a breach? Well, it's it's still defined for Papaya's purposes
2: as a compromise and would be a breach mm. of Papaya. And you might ask why. Well, what Papaya says is that personal information must be protected not only from unauthorized. Authorized disclosure, but also must be protected so that it is accessible. Now, when you have certain personal information that might be very important, it could be medical records, it could be contact information of children. Now suddenly you don't have that personal information. In that instance, it's still a breach of papaya because remember, it's protection from unauthorized disclosure. It's also, it also ensures access to information. And papaya also regulates how that information is destroyed. So you know, any one of those, if it's not being destroyed properly, that's a breach of papaya. If it is not, if you can't access it, and the data subject needs to access it, that again is a breach of papaya. And likewise, instances of unauthorized disclosure or, or access, that also is a breach. So the fact that it's sitting on the servers and and the and you know the the hackers, let's call them that, haven't actually removed it and seen it, that still amounts to breach of papaya. It might well. Be Right. be that insofar as the sanctions or penalties are concerned, the sanctions might be, uh, you know, the penalties might be lower because, of course, this information hasn't been disclosed. But the fact that the data subjects and, and the responsible party themselves couldn't access it, that is still uh, a
1: breach as well. Lucin thank you so much for coming to Technical Matters. You're a friend of the podcast.
0: Uh, thank you very much. Remember to tell your friends family, and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafr ikan.com forward slash radio and subscribe to get notified on new episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.